Uh, it's always a joy to begin a worship service in, uh, by following the Lord's command to baptize believers. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. Before they come, I want to explain to you what baptism is. Uh, when a person is baptized, it's an opportunity to go public with their faith. It's an opportunity for them to say, look, this is what's happened to me. I've been changed by Jesus Christ. And so what they're not doing, what's not happening here, is that their sins are actually being washed away by the water. The Bible teaches us that our sins are washed away by the work of the Holy Spirit when we believe in Christ. In fact, the Bible says when we believe in Christ, at that very moment, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that cleanses us, seals us forever. And so when we're baptized, what we're doing is we're coming before you as a congregation. We're saying, look, I have sinned against God. So these, these that are standing here this morning are confessing that. I've sinned against God. I deserve His punishment for my sin. But I don't want to sin anymore. I believe that Jesus died for me. I want to follow Him. I want to turn from living for myself. I want to repent. And I want to follow Jesus Christ. The old me is dead. I, the old me has died with Christ. The old me is dead and buried. That's the reason we baptize by immersion. And, the old, and, the, and I'm a new me. After Jesus, wrote, after Jesus died and was buried, three days later He rose again. The old me's dead and buried. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm walking with Jesus. Watch me. I've got His name written on my jersey. I'm on His team. And so being baptized is a weighty responsibility. It's a command. It's not an option for a believer, but it's a weighty responsibility to say, look, I belong to Jesus and I'm following Him and I'm not turning back by His grace. So this morning... Rebecca Gill has come. Rebecca has grown up in our church family. Many of you have taught her in Sunday school and vacation Bible school, and her family have certain, certainly poured their lives into her as well. And so she's come this morning uh, uh, to follow the Lord in believers' baptism, obviously. So, oh, that was a few months back, I believe it was, if I got the story right, I talked to, to Rebecca some about baptism and so forth and, and uh, with her parents, and they went back and talked to her some more. And, uh, and so here a few weeks ago, uh, Rebecca wanted to talk again one Sunday morning. She said, I need to talk to the preacher. And so we got together in my office and we talked some more. And it's obvious that God's continued to be at work. And she can all, already can articulate the gospel well, but she's come to a point where uh, we're seeing fruit in her life. We're seeing her grow in her faith, a brokenness over sin. And, uh, and so we're praising God for that. Amen, church. And so she's come this morning to express that in obedience to what Christ has done. So, Rebecca, let me ask you a question. you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. you believe that you're a sinner and you need Jesus' forgiveness for you? Yes. you believe Jesus died for your sins on the cross? Yes. you think what Jesus did is good enough to pay the penalty for your sin? Yes. you want to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Yes. Yes. All right. Turn around like this for me. Rebecca, based on, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for coming on down here. So it was last week that her sister Rachel said, You know what? The Lord's been dealing with me too. And she told her, I'm going to move this stool out of the way for us here, Rachel. She, uh, she told her mom uh, and dad that uh, after they had talked with her son, she said, I, I need to talk to the preacher. And this was a, a change for her. 
and uh, uh, an obvious change for her. She'd been having a hard time about wanting to do that. And anyway, she uh, she came and talked with me this past week, and and we said, now you're not wanting to do this because your sister's already said she's wanting to. She said, no, no, I've been thinking about this for a while. And of course, we talked about the same things about the nature of sin and and the fact that uh, she wanted to follow Jesus and so forth. And and uh, we're very confident that God's been in work in, in Rachel for a very long time. And uh, and uh, so so thankful for you as a church family and for her family that's raised her to, to, to fear Christ. And and, uh, and so this morning she's come to follow the Lord in baptism as well. So Rachel, I'm going to ask you some of the same questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that you've sinned against God and deserve His punishment for your sins? Yes. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins and that's good enough to pay the penalty for your sin? Yes. You want to follow Jesus and repent and turn and let Him be Lord of your life. Yes. Amen. Rachel, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people say amen to that. Amen. We rejoice together this morning. Hey, there's room at the cross for you. And that's the first place you need to go. It's not the baptistry. You need to go to Christ. You need to recognize that you've sinned against God and your only hope is to trust only in Jesus. So right there where you're sitting, if you're convicted about that and convinced you need to trust in Jesus, call upon Him right now. Say, oh God, I've sinned against you. And if I were to die right now, I know I wouldn't go to heaven. And God, I want to, I desperately want to trust only in Christ. You do that. And then... We'll talk with you later about how you can follow the Lord and believers' baptism. We're so glad you're here this morning at First Baptist. We're excited about our service today. Uh, Miss Lynn Saltzgaver is going to come right now. Lynn, if you come, she's going to make an announcement about our women's ministry. And then we're going to continue to, uh, to worship together this morning. And you can be seated. I'm going to ask Casey Griffith to come right now. And a member of our church, he's going to read some scripture and pray for us this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 4. Short passage of Scripture for you. But I believe this passage is for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says, Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Will you pray with me? God, I pray that this would not be true of us. I confess that we are indeed prone to wander, Lord. Prone to leave the God that we love. Sometimes I think we're just too satisfied with trifles in this world. Too easily entertained. Too easily satisfied. How great you are, God. How wonderful and amazing and awesome and holy and merciful you are. 
God, I pray that you would open our eyes up to great and wonderful things in your word. You would let us see your glory. That you would let us see how wonderful, amazing your grace is to us sinners. I pray you would help the preaching of the gospel that we proclaim reflect that. That it would be Christ-centered and that it would be full of grace and mercy. Sinners who see themselves as condemned and unclean. Love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Ushers to come, they're helping this morning's offering, and our children are going to be dismissed for children's church this morning. It's election time, and I'll be glad when it's over. In election time, there's a lot of speeches taking place, and a lot of people got a lot of things to say. And we're reminded this morning that we have something to say as a church, as a Jesus Christ as Lord. We have something to herald, and it's good news. And that's why we came this morning, that God is on the throne, and He reigns as King, no matter what happens around us. Amen, church? Now this morning, uh, as we come, I think of... Uh,
a speech I heard this week. I just happened to turn the radio on around lunchtime one day this week, and I heard Oprah Winfrey. Normally, if I heard Oprah Winfrey, I'd turn the radio off, but this time I left it on. She was giving a speech, and she gave a phenomenal speech in Georgia, and the aim of her speech was to rally voters in Georgia to go and vote. And we've heard a lot about getting the word out about the word to vote. And so I listened, and I was enthralled with her speech. She did a wonderful job, even though I disagree with her about every single thing she stands for. But she did a wonderful job in her speech. And in her speech, uh, toward the end, uh, a big part of her speech was the theme of, you know, uh, we, we're all equal. We all have the same thing. We have this power, this power, this power, this power to vote. One of the things she said toward the end of her speech was this. She said, uh, I especially want to speak to my sisters uh, about, and they all cheered about getting the word out because we have the right, we have this power to vote now. And she said, or sisters. She said, I want to talk to my black sisters and my, my brown sisters. And, and the crowd just got louder and louder. And my white sisters and my Asian sisters and my LBGTQ sisters. And then there was a loud, tremendously loud roar with that latter statement. And that's when I turned the radio off and I bowed my head in prayer and I said, oh God, how far we have fallen. How sad. The righteous indignation that I normally feel in those sort of things was there. But also a deep sadness. Just thought about, we call wrong, we call right what is good. Or wrong what is good and, and vice versa. You know, we, 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 we've turned everything upside down on its head. We have forgotten the Lord. It's not that there's anything new under the sun, though, is it? Ezekiel lived in a time in which there was much wickedness. And in fact, the key phrase in the book of Ezekiel, or one phrase that's used 63 times, is the phrase, We'll know that I am the Lord. We'll know that I am the Lord. We'll know that I am the Lord. 63 times. We'll know that I am the Lord. He says, I'm going to do this, Israel. Do this to you. I'm going to do it through the nations so you'll know, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. And much like in our own day, the Jewish people of Ezekiel's time had forgotten the Lord. He said, I'm going to do this so they'll know that I'm the Lord. And the nations, the Gentile nations, suppressed the truth of God revealed in general revelation, just like it says in Romans chapter 1 that we all do by nature, and they did not know the Lord. And yet we find in Ezekiel chapter 33 a sword being brought upon the land. It's God that brings that sword upon the land. He raises up nations as instruments of chastisement upon His people. And what we find is God's bringing this sword upon the land is that even though the world is out of control, God sits upon His throne. Amen? In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, you see this tremendous vision of the Lord, full of symbolism as the Lord is seated on His throne in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, about to judge the nations of the earth and about to warn the nations through the prophet Ezekiel. So Ezekiel has this mission field and this calling. He's in exile. The people have been punished. He's in exile and he's been called to be a watchman to warn the people that judgment is coming. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible right now and turn to Ezekiel chapter 33 because as we look at this passage of Scripture and we consider Ezekiel's calling 
as a watchman on his mission field in a day in which the people have forgotten the Lord. Let us be reminded, church, let us be reminded, church, that God has called us as watchmen on our own mission fields to sound the warning in a time in which people have also forgotten the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. If you would, please stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word together this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you, underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Ezekiel chapter 33 in the Old Testament. Beginning with verse 1. I'll read the first 11 verses for now. The Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I... Bring the sword upon the land. Who's going to bring the sword? God says, if I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land takes a man from among them and make them their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, verse 4, then if anyone hears the trumpet, hears the sound of the trumpet, does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Verse 7. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn him from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 9, But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. Verse 10, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Let's pray together again. Almighty God, we thank you that when you've been able to assemble openly and freely on this first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, to sing of the glories of Jesus and what you've done for us in Him, to observe believers following you in baptism, to sit in Sunday school classes and and hear the word taught, and to be encouraged and exhorted over. Lord, we come now and ask that that would take place in the preaching of your word even. That we would see the glory of who you are in this passage of Scripture, and that our hearts would be affected deeply by it, and that we would worship you. And Lord, that what you're telling us to do as acts of worship would be clear to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So Ezekiel has this mission field, this calling. The first time he's appointed as a watchman, we see it in Ezekiel chapter 3. 
And then now in Ezekiel chapter 33, again, the Lord is saying, I'm recommissioning you before the people, because it says in verse 1, Son of man, or verse 2, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon the land. And then he says in verse 7, So, Son of man, you are that watchman. So he's saying to Israel, Israel, this is what's going to happen. If the sword comes upon a land, judgment comes upon a land, and you fail to listen to, to the warning, then you're going to die and it's your own fault. But if the, war, if the watchman standing, keeping guard duty, pulling guard duty, sees the enemy coming and says, look, the enemy's coming. And he sounds the warning, hey, everybody, the enemy's coming. And you just keep on sleeping through the warning. Then the watchman's fulfilled his responsibility. And if you die, it's your own fault. If the watchman doesn't sound the warning and you die, you'll still die in your iniquity. But the watchman's going to be held responsible for it. And in that day, a watchman will be executed. So he says in verse 7, Son of man, you're the watchman for Israel. Son of man, Ezekiel, you're not standing on a wall like guards were for Jerusalem you're in exile. You're not even in Jerusalem. But you are standing as God's man, God's spokesman, God's, spokesman, God's prophet, God's watchman to warn the house of Israel. And, and son of man, Ezekiel, if you don't warn them, you're going to bear responsibility for it. If you do and they ignore it, then it's their own fault and they die in their iniquity either way. So it is, church, that we have a mission field and a calling that's the application in part what we're aiming for. But here's the main point of the text. If we look at all the text, the original message to Israel would have been this, I believe. The main point of this passage of Scripture that we need to see about God is that God wants the wicked to be warned so that they'll repent and be saved. This God that creates the universe and all things and has been spit in the face by our iniquities and our sins, God wants us to be warned. He wants the wicked to be warned so that they'll repent and be saved. We've forgotten who God is. We suppress the truth about God. He says, then they will know that I'm the Lord. What is it that the watchman's message is supposed to communicate about the living God that they've forgotten about and that they don't know. What is our message supposed to communicate? Two things I'm going to launch on to quickly. Number one, God is just. And all people are responsible for their own sin. God is just and all people are responsible for their own sin. This week I went by the Gill home to pick up Drew to take him fishing. And Rebecca, whom we baptized a while ago, ran out from behind the house and said, Thanks for taking him. <laughs> and I really thought that was funny because I've got four kids too and I can see them saying the same thing. Now, I think she was just trying to express appreciation and be polite, young lady. But behind that, for many children anyway, would be, Thanks for taking him out of here, right? I say that because in our... Families and with our children, sometimes our children, believe it or not, just don't always get along. And the Bible says that that is sin. And Jesus died for it. And it's not to be taken lightly, children. Parents. 
And all people are responsible for their sin. It says here in verse 8 and 9, look at your Bible. Are you looking at it? Verse 8. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So if Ezekiel doesn't tell the people that judgment from God is coming, if he doesn't do his job and warn them, if they die, they're still going to die in their iniquity. They're still sinners. They're still responsible, even if he doesn't do his job. We see it again in verse, uh, the next verse, just the opposite. If that person, if you blow the trumpet, and the, and the opposite, if, if he dies in his iniquity, you've delivered your soul if they ignore it. Verse 9. Sometimes I have to remind our children that um, saying to me as dad, I wasn't the only one doing it. Not only does that not fly with me, that doesn't fly with God. You're responsible for your own iniquity, your own sin. I'm not as bad as they are. Everybody was doing it. I'm just talking to you right now, sweetheart, son. Just talking to you. When you stand in front of God one day, it's not going to fly, son. Everybody else was doing it. I'm trying to help them understand about their heart that they're responsible for their own sin. Quit making excuses for your sin. And that's our responsibility as watchmen. To help people understand they've sinned against a holy God. And all people are responsible for their own sin. That this God is just and He will punish that sin. Is God just in punishing sin? Is He? Verses 12 through 20 take up this theme. In fact, if you look in verse 17, it says, Yet your people say, verse 17, the way of the Lord is not just. Because early in these verses, he begins to speak about how someone is living a, from what we see, what appears to be a righteous life, but they turn from it, they're going to die. God's going to punish them. But if somebody's lived a wicked life, but suddenly they turn from their wickedness and repent, God's not going to punish them. He's going to... Repentance is the whole issue here. And so they question the Lord's justice. Is God just in punishing us? There's some people in their minds that maybe they don't appear to be all that bad. Maybe we think that way sometimes. And I think if we're going to take our calling as... Watchmen on our mission field, seriously, is that we need to understand that every single person we run into is accountable before God for their own sin. They will face it one day. Some, some have said, when it, questioning God's justice, what about the innocent man on the island? What about the person who never heard of Jesus, who's on an island somewhere with a native group somehow and and they're innocent. What will God? Will God still punish them? They've never even heard about Jesus. Will God punish the innocent person? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. God will not punish an innocent person. But hear me well. There are no innocent people. The man on the island has sinned against God, whether he knows Jesus or not. Brothers and sisters. That's why we take the gospel to nations that don't have access to the gospel. 
That's why this month in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering as Southern Baptists, we're going to be encouraged to give so that we can keep missionaries on the mission field doing the work they've been called to do so that people can hear the gospel and have access to it that don't. There are no innocent people. They don't hear the message of Christ. They live their life just like we do. They love their families, they, they're, but they're sinners like we are as well. And, and they go on their day, day by day. They've never heard of Christ. They've never heard of Christ. They grow old. They retire. They do this. They, they laugh. They cry. They're just like us. And they die and go to hell without ever hearing about Jesus Christ. They don't go to hell because they didn't hear about Jesus. They go to hell because they're sinners. And that's where they belong. And that's where I belong. And the only way to escape that judgment and that punishment is through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's no second chances. It's appointed a man wants to die. And then the judgment. Anybody else tells you otherwise is a liar. So one of the things we see from this text is that God is just. All people are responsible for their own sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So don't let me presume that each person in here is ready to meet your God, the Lord God. You have sinned against God. And your only hope is to trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent and turn to Him, not to have the devil's faith and say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Listen, the devil ain't going to heaven because he don't want to follow Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You hate your sin and you, want, and you hate it so much and you love Jesus so much that you want to turn from your sin and follow Christ. That's repentant faith. That's true faith. And I believe there are a lot of people going to find out one day that they had nothing more than the devil's faith. So if we're going to be responsible watchmen, let's don't give people this easy believism gospel that doesn't talk about sin and repentance the way we should because we've done them no favor. We've just made their trip to hell a little more comfortable, a little more easy before they get there. Number two, the Lord God is not only just, he is merciful. Amen? Amen? He is merciful. If He weren't, then why would we come to worship Him today? He is merciful. The Lord wants all people to repent. And there's two ways in this text we call attention to quickly that we see that He's merciful. Number one is in the fact that He's appointed a watchman. <laughs> These people have sinned against Him. His own people have sinned over and over and over. Ezekiel is a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. They don't want to hear their words, yet God has raised up prophet after prophet to cry out to His people in that day, to repent, to turn, because judgment is coming, and He continues to send the prophets. Why? Because He really does want them to turn from it. He really does not want to have to punish them for their iniquity. And we see it in verses 10 and 11. Look at your Bible. Look at what it says. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
There's no other way to take those words than what it says right there. Our God is not this capricious God who sits back and just really enjoys punishing His people, judging His people, Israel in that context, or in in an eternal sense, in hell. He doesn't get a kick out of that. He takes no pleasure in that. He is a merciful God. He is a just God, and He will do what He says He's going to do. But He takes no pleasure in having to do it. That's the reason a couple times in the Old Testament we see God saying, I regret that I made Saul king. I regret that I did this. God never changes His mind or looks at things in hindsight and says, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. That's not God. Our God's always the same. When He says that, He's saying, I'm regretting I'm having to do what I'm about to do is to punish you. I don't want to have to do it, but I'm going to do it. So I'm going to give them Saul because they asked for it. I'm going to do this because they insist upon it, just like we do with our kids sometimes. Come here. It's time for Daddy to discipline you. Well, I don't say it that way. But I don't discipline because I take pleasure in it. Sometimes I even say, I don't want to have to do this. Do you think Daddy wants to spank you? And they'll look at me and say, no. No, I don't. But I'm going to. I have to because you've got a problem bigger than with me. Your problem is with God. Praise God that our Lord is merciful, that our Father in heaven, if, good, if fathers on earth know how to give good gifts to their children, <laughs> how much more a heavenly Father is ready to extend mercy to those who would repent and trust in His provision of salvation. Amen? So what's the application for us as church? This is Old Testament. I've heard a lot of talk about Old Testament application recently in the news and so forth or in blogs. Let me read an important scripture to you in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out. Talking about Old Testament, but implied in there is New Testament. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This means that every single word in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, are profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. That means you can't do without any of the Scripture in order to be equipped to do God's work. So what does Ezekiel 33 mean for us? How does it equip us as a church now? Things have changed since Ezekiel's time. How does does it equip us now? One of the things that's changed is we're the church made up of Jews and Gentiles. We're, We're like this third race of people. We're not a nation with a king over us like Israel had. We live all over this world as believers in different places all over this world. That's the church. doesn't have a government, with the exception of the government that's over their land, right? But the church doesn't have a government. It has pastors and has chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So we have to be careful how we apply this passage of Scripture or any Old Testament passage of Scripture and keep that in mind. 
So since Ezekiel's time, the covenant's changed, and God's come to earth. We'll talk more about that in a moment to make that covenant happen. But what's not changed? Three things quickly. Number one, just the thing we just talked about, the condition of man. The condition of man. The condition of man has not changed. All men are still sinful and must repent. Another thing has not changed since Ezekiel's times, the character of God. Amen? God is still just and God is still merciful. God still wants the wicked to be warned so that they'll repent and be saved. Amen? He still wants that. Acts chapter 1 makes it clear, verse 8. You should be my witnesses, he says to the apostles, the early church. And he says it to us today. You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon them and empower them to do this work. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 tells us to go, therefore, into all the world, baptize and make disciples and teach them. God still wants the wicked to be warned, church. And how does He do that? Who are the watchmen? It's us. What does it mean to repent? If that's the pivotal thing that we see emphasized in Ezekiel 33, you look back in verse 11. Look at your Bible in verse 11. What does the Lord God say that they need to do? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. The whole issue is repentance. A repentant faith. A faith that believes God's Word so much and what God says that they're going to turn. Now, I want to ask you this morning, does that kind of faith happen in your heart? That you believe these things. Not because mom and dad do or grandpa and grandma do or your best friend, but you believe this. And you want to turn from your ways and follow Jesus Christ. Repenters are followers of Jesus They're not morally neutral. We see that in verse 14 and 15 of the text. Look at your Bible in verse 14 just very quickly. Verse 14 says, Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he's taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. The person that becomes a believer in the Word of God and His provision for forgiveness becomes a repenter, a follower. Their life changes. That's the kind of disciples we want to make in our church family. Amen? As a church family. We want to see Rebecca and Rachel that were baptized this morning become strong followers of Jesus. We just don't want to give people a bath in in the water up here in the baptismal and fill another seat in the sanctuary. We want to see people begin with the gospel and connect with the church to continue in the faith and to grow in Christ through discipleship so that they don't remain immature, your young Christians or immature Christians. They don't stay that way. And that along the way, they're engaging their mission field, which is the message this morning. They realize that They are created by God to be worshipers, and part of that worship is to tell other people about what Christ has done. That's the kind of disciples we want to make as a church family. So that's why 
Parents, we sometimes struggle about, is my child ready to be baptized yet or not? We just don't rush them to it, right? Because you want your child, you want your kids to own their faith, right? You want them to be born again. You don't want them to just be part of a club. You don't want them just to have their, their name written down somewhere on a row. You want them to be followers of Christ. And so you labor over this and you pray and you ask questions and, and you're so careful about it. And I appreciate that about our church family and about the parents in our church. The character of God's not changed and the condition of man's not changed. But thirdly, as I already alluded to, the calling of watchmen. That's not changed. God still calls watchmen today. God still warns through His messengers. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew Gentile, everybody that calls on the Lord will be saved. How should they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How should they preach unless they're sent? So God still today, on this side of the cross, raises up people to go and be watchmen and warn the wicked of their ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. Listen. The Lord God is just and He is merciful. He's appealing to people. Just like Jesus did to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, how long? I would have gathered you as a hint of their chicks, right? This is our God. This is who He is. And He's making His appeal. You, you think it's you witnessing to your neighbor. No, that's God working through you. It's God. Our God who is in the heavens right now. He's making an appeal. He's saying, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's who God is. This just and merciful God. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. And if they are not warned, we are responsible in some way. It said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33 that if he did not warn, they would die in their iniquity nevertheless because they're sinners and there's no innocent people. But his blood, their blood would be on his hands. He would be held responsible. Do we, does that carry over to us today? Does, do we share in some, in some way responsibility for the death of the wicked that we fail to warn? I believe the answer is yes. I don't know what that means and what that looks like in eternity. With, uh, I certainly know what it feels like to have wished I would have told somebody about Jesus and I didn't and find out that they've died without Christ. And you probably, a lot of you probably do too. But there's one place in the New Testament that bears this out. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says this. This is Paul speaking. God speaking through Paul and testifying. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. If he would have shrunk back and not declared the word of God to the people, then he wouldn't be guilty 
of some of their blood. So there does seem to be this principle of responsibility, bearing responsibility that at least Paul was accountable to. And I would say we are as well since we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. And if we don't, if we're not willing to, we're not intentional about it, we're not on mission for Christ everywhere and every day, seeking to be that in some way we bear some responsibility. So when Oprah made her speech, she said, we all have the power to vote. We're all equal. We all are equal. We're all equal. We have this power. You have this power. You have this power. You have this power. Yay, we all have this power to vote. And I'm sitting there thinking, we all have sin. I mean, that's just, that's just how my mind thinks. I don't know, do you just think that way when you hear, when you just see things going on in the world, you just think of, maybe I'm just, sometimes I think I'm just a negative person, you know, but I'm thinking, no, yeah, that's, that's true. And, and I'm not minimizing the need to vote. But here's something much more important. We all have sin. The Jewish synagogue last week in Pittsburgh, tragic, horribly sad. The way my mind works, one of the first things that comes to my mind is if they weren't believers in Jesus, then they something much more tragic happened. Is that they all went to hell. It's just it's how my mind works. I think about these things. I heard Ezekiel chapter thirty three preached at a church when I was in the military. I was a young man, probably nineteen or twenty years old. And God really gripped my heart. And uh, that morning, I went in front of the church that morning. And, you know, I wasn't a preacher or anything. Didn't know I was going to be called to ministry and, and uh, wouldn't know for a couple of years later. But, but I just said, I got something to say. I said, the Lord just kind of put it on my heart to, you know, what, what if? And I know it's not going to happen this way. You don't see it in Scripture. It does. But, but just suppose that if I was to go to heaven one day, I know I will because I'm believing in Jesus but I looked into hell and I saw some of the soldiers that I served with in hell looking back back up at me in heaven and saying, there's frills. Frills, why didn't you tell me about this place? You saw me every day and you never took the time to talk to me. I mean, the reality of... It's just... Folks, we, we... we're all living in this same world. And the reason I mentioned that about Oprah and about the Jewish synagogue and how I think about it and even what I just said just now, it's like there's things that are really, really important. There's like two realities. There's heaven and hell out there. To me, that's it. I mean, everything else is secondary. This, this is how our mind ought to be thinking And so the reality of that just gripped my heart in a, in a way it hadn't before. And a couple of years later, God did call me in the ministry. But what I want you to know is long before I was a pastor, I was a preacher. And what I mean by that is a Romans 10 type of preacher. How should they hear without a preacher? All of us who are believers are preachers not called to equip the church like I'm doing right now, but every single believer has been called to warn 
to proclaim the good news. That, that's something that had been ingrained in me since I was a, just a little, little boy and had grown up that way. So when I was uh, in the army and I thought about what the Lord had spoke to me that morning, I sat on the, my bed one day and I wrote this song I'm going to try to sing. I think I may have sung it here once before. And uh, it was about Ezekiel 33 and the impression that God had put upon my heart and mind and the burden, fresh burden. And right after I wrote this song, I got a knock on the door one morning that said, Frills, did you hear what happened to soldier, this, this young soldier last night? He said he was killed in a car accident. I've shared this before, I know, but he was killed in a car accident coming back from a drinking last night. He was drunk coming with another guy and died in a car wreck. And he shut my door. This guy was going around telling everybody. So I sat down back on the bed. And, of course, the way my mind works, because I was a preacher before I was a pastor. If you're a Christian, you're a preacher. The way my mind works, first thought I had, I put my hands in my head, my head in my hands, and I said, Oh, God, he is in hell right now. And the reason I say that is on his dog tags, uh, it said for religious preference, it said Southern Baptist on mine, it said no preference on his. And it would have kind of been known that he was an atheist agnostic. And um, you never know what's going to happen in somebody's dying moments. I understand that. So unless God worked in a miraculous way in his dying moments when he's choking on his own blood in that car outside of Nashville, Tennessee, I knew that he was in hell at that moment. And my second thought was, I saw him every day and I never took the time to tell him about Jesus. That's, that's how I think. I saw a picture of a man looking up at me. Tears in his eyes and a look of disbelief. I realized this picture was a lost man's eternity. The man below was crying, screaming out my name. Why didn't you tell me I'd listen if you tried? You had so many chances, but you never took the time. And now I'm in this burning hell Cause your efforts were so small Once I thought you were my friend But you weren't my friend at all The last thing Jesus told us Was to go tell every man if we don't warn them, their blood is on our hands. But pride and all excuses, they all get in the way. If you could just hear the cries from hell, 
You might hear someone say your name. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you even try? You had so many chances, but you never took the time. And now I'm in this burning hell, cause your efforts were so small. Once I thought you were my friend, but you weren't my friend at all. Then I saw a picture of a man looking down at me. Tears in his eyes, there were nails in his hands and feet. And I realized he was Jesus, and he was dying and taking my place. As his father turned his face away, I could hear him say, Why don't you tell them, why don't you even try? You have so many chances, but you seldom take the time. Are you ashamed of what I've done? Well, your efforts, they're so small. You always pretend to be my friend, but are you my friend at all? We always intend to be their friends, but are we their friend at all? So, I share that with you. That's not you jumping up and down type of song, right? But it's reality. There's heaven and there's hell. And people go in one place forever. Eternal joy or eternal separation and suffering. And nobody has to go there. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a lot of mystery. There's a whole lot of mystery in God's providence and sovereignty and how all this all works out. But I know this. I know what my responsibility is. And it's to preach the gospel. Whether I'm a pastor or not. To be ready everywhere, every day on the mission field that God's called me to. To be ready to share the gospel with other people. Now let me say this before I pray and before we sing. I'm very thankful in this church family. In the four years I've been here, actually today marks four years that my family and I have been here. The vision has not changed. The vision is still to make disciples who have an urgency to take the gospel. The urgency reflected in John 4.35. Don't say, yet four months, then comes the harvest. It's harvest time right now. And I'm so thankful to see that so many of you embrace that. I hear a lot of people in our church talking about people they've witnessed to, people they're burdened for. If you want to encourage your pastor, you can bake him a chocolate pie, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> but if you really want to encourage me, just send me a text or give me a call or catch me in a hallway and say, Pastor, I talked to a friend of mine about Jesus this week. 
there's nothing going to encourage me probably any more than that. I'm not saying I led somebody to faith this week. That's, that's the Lord going to do that. But, but, Pastor, I tried. Praise God for that. Praise God for it. One thing that has changed since Ezekiel's time for sure, and that's the covenant. There's a new covenant. God is still just. He's still merciful. And that same God since Ezekiel's day came to earth. And with his own hands and his own feet stretched out upon a cross, he shed his blood for us. So we have good news to proclaim, good news to tell, right? So let's engage our mission field intentionally. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ, I would love the opportunity to talk with you about your relationship with Jesus. So please get my attention. It can be while we're singing this song or on the way out this morning, get my attention then. Or if you know another Christian, pull them aside and talk to them. By all means, repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, the sobering word, Lord, about a responsibility that you've called the church to now, in this time and in this day. Father, we want to engage in this responsibility feeling the weight of it, but also going in the absolute joy and confidence and assurance that we already have as believers because we are justified. We are going to be glorified. We are saved. No one can snatch us out of your hand. Christ has come and done this for us. May our hearts be burdened for the loss and may us be so filled with joy in what Christ has done that we cannot be quiet. Help us to see our mission fields like Jesus saw the Samaritan woman at the well. That we see people who are at least savable. That you can save and change anybody. And anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We love you, Father, and thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand right now and sing with praise to our God together this morning for who He is and what He has done. If you want to come and pray right now, talk with me about anything at all you're willing, you can come to do that. Let's pray and sing together.